Hello and welcome to the RPG PodQuest, the show that's not only about RPGs, but is an RPG. I'm one of your hosts, my name is Jeremy, and with me this week is Nick. Hey, how you all going? Doing well, and also here is RPG PodQuest founder, Evan. Oh, well, that makes me feel important in some way, which is rather nice. <laughs> Uh, so we usually kick off the show with some news or new game announcements, but none of the three of us were that interested in anything that came out this week. So we're going to press on to uh, games that we have been playing, uh, hopefully with a focus on RPGs. Uh, Nick, you want to go ahead and kick us off? Sure. So the listeners may recall in the last episode, I had a, a miniature epiphany as I reflected and realized the only RPGs I seem to enjoy are space-themed uh, turn-based RPGs. So well, that's not entirely true, Nick. Well, you also you also like fantasy when it's in space. Yes, true, true. Anything in space, um, and Pokemon. But we'll circle back to Pokemon. Um, so I guess yeah. Dur- during the the last, I mean, we've had a fortnight now. You guys had a had your major holiday, so we had a bit of time off. Um, I sort of dug around. I, I've got got my consoles set back up and had a had a dig around online, see what I could find down at the shops, and just found a few things that I really just wanted to to sort of see if they they landed with me. And I I particularly had a had a look at the the Star Ocean Star Ocean franchise, which I've never really looked at before, which was quite fun. I played the a couple of hours of the the PS2. I forget the name of it now. Till second or something, something. It's not no, important. They all have they, they all have ridiculous names. The important part is it was in space uh, until it wasn't, which was kind of exciting. And I and I am I plan on getting back to that, but I got a bit sidetracked by my quest as I, I sort of endeavoured to to play something new for the sake of the quest. So we'll, we'll talk about that a bit later. But I I had played I think the Star Ocean game on the Xbox three sixty. Um, which I, I recall enjoying myself. I, I didn't play too much, but again, it's the space aesthetic, but I, I was enjoying myself here with Star Ocean. I think, like I said, the, the quest just took over me. But the one I really circled back to was Final Fantasy X. So I I haven't necessarily... Well, I'd say I haven't really played Final Fantasy X. I played it once. Um, as I've talked about before, I never had a PS2, so I had a family friend um, visit... Once the PS2 had come out and he did not own a memory card at that point. So I stayed up all night playing Final Fantasy X with no memory card. Ah, oh, the good old days. Um, which, as you know in RPGs, yeah, the moment you get game over and if you don't have a memory card, that's it. So I recall playing about 12 hours that night and uh, eventually everyone in my party got petrified and that was it. It's an um, extremely bold way to play. Uh, yeah, I, you know, and I figured he'd, he'd brought, he was a family friend, so he didn't come over that often, but he brought the PS2 and I'm like, well, this is my one chance. He's going home tomorrow. <laughs> I may as well spend it all night. Um, but no, I started dabbling a little bit in Final Fantasy X and, you know, I've said before, I've, I've played 7, 8, and 9 um, quite a number of times. I've played 12. I've dabbled in 14, 11, and, and some of the older ones, not as much as, as you know, the PS1 post RPGs, but... Final Fantasy X, other than that time, I hadn't really played it. Um, so I was, you know, just ha- having a nosy around and there. It's, it's not necessarily spacey sci-fi, but I guess it's got that that color aesthetic palette that, that sort of pleases me. So I did jump in. Um, I'm not too far in at the moment. I'm just sort of running around. Um, I 
forgot to put a memory card in so i did die at some point and had to go back to the start which yeah yeah you know reliving my childhood which is great that's what Um, i was gonna say (laughs) yeah but no again like i said as as focusing on my quest so these were just sort of little things i was dabbling in um but kind of really i guess open to you guys i I know um evan you spoke last time about i was a cosmic star heroine which i've got written down to have a nosy at at some point but really i was just sort of curious to to hear from you two if you know there's anything else in sort of that that aesthetic that sort of you know sci-fi space doesn't need to be space but you know that that sort of aesthetic that nice colorful um futuristic uh rpg aesthetic that i thought i'd pick your brains on and see if there's anything else there i can start having a dabble in uh, have you played any of the Citizens games, Citizens of Earth or Citizens in Space? I, I, I did play Citizens of Earth and enjoyed myself. I've got to pick up the, there's, I think they announced the double pack of Earth and Space coming out on Switch soon. Yep. Um, so I'll, I will pick that one up and, and play um, Citizens of Space. So play fairly similarly to Earth? I actually haven't played Earth. Um, I reviewed Space for Switch RPG. Yeah. Um, and I enjoyed it. It's definitely a unique take on battle systems in that game. Yeah. I, I think the the one thing I did struggle with a little bit was the art style. It is very uh, sort of almost flash animation-ish. Um, not in a negative way, but I mean, yes, in a negative way. But, you know, my brain instantly just thinks of probably countless flash games I've played growing up. Um, yeah, the, the the character design does seem like decidedly Western. I mean, I don't want to go out on a limb and say, like, North American in nature, but it really does have that sort of feel. But in comparison, I think the gameplay is is pretty solidly in the Japanese RPG-ish sort of uh, area, yeah. if, I'm, if I'm correct, Jeremy. Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, the, again, the, the combat system is really what makes it unique. Um, it basically takes the timed button presses of the Mario RPGs and just cranks it into you're going to play a mini game with every single attack, which sounds like it would appeal to me, but I, I uh, also agree that the aesthetics have kind of put me off of that series, but maybe I'll, I'll dip into it with the, uh, the two pack, any other uh, space, spacey sorts uh, that, that come to mind, Jeremy. Nothing off the top of my head. I'm racking my brain. Okay, well, I think I can maybe uh, recommend some things. Um, So if you are, well, I mean, (sighs) buying physical copies of DS games nowadays is always a risky gambit. Uh, For some reason, the collector's market has exploded in a lot of ways, making a lot of these titles um, harder to access, but... Uh, I'm not entirely sure if it would be all that tough to pick up a copy of uh, any of the three Spectrobes games. Um, I'm a big fan of these games, although I'm a bigger fan of the two that released on DS. Uh, And these are created, uh, or I should say they're developed by Jupiter um, in, uh, well, in collaboration with Disney, which is rather surprising. But at some point in the DS era... When the DS, so, as, as in Picross Jupiter. Uh, yes, yes, Picross, and also yeah, okay. you, you also get uh, like Kingdom Hearts Chain of Memory. I think was was their product as well. Uh, so they have some pedigree, right? Um, and Spectrobes is uh, <laughs> the the premise is as absurd as 
as it can possibly be. I think Disney was trying to uh, capture the Japanese audience with this one because you are space police, uh, members of a interplanetary uh, police force who discover a ancient ship and reanimate its uh, its passenger who then <laughs> teaches you uh, how to reanimate fossils from the ground uh, and these fossils are these creatures of light called spectrobes so it's part like monster catching uh, but it does have some sci-fi themes your uh, your playable character can equip a blaster a laser sword uh, and the really neat thing about the gameplay uh, is instead of going out into you know tall grass and capturing uh, your monsters, you're actually uh, excavating them, which works really really well with the DS touchscreen. Um, and the Wii, the there's uh, it, it is a trilogy uh, technically. The the Wii installment, which you could probably play without context, but it does need some context as well. Um, the, the Wii game also does a pretty good job of allowing you to use motion controls for excavation, which I think is pretty neat. Um, but there are some definite sci-fi themes, lots of glowing panels and lines uh, all, all over the place. And also that sort of like, oh, ancient aliens built the pyramids sort of thing, uh, which is neat. And then the other game that I would uh, recommend maybe would be Infinite Space which uh, is actually one of Platinum Games' first uh, releases. And it is a uh, long-form space opera RPG in which you uh, commandeer a ship and all of the battles are, uh, are nautical uh, in nature. You are, are flying around in space and fighting against other battlecruisers. Uh, it's a very long game and has multiple uh, branching paths, so it's pretty crazy. But uh, I think that one is pretty hard to get your hands on, too. Um, I own a copy of it, but it was it did cost me a pretty penny. Yeah, obviously, I could get Spectrobes for about $10 Australian. <laughs> yeah. So that's about Deal. 6 or $7 uh, US. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, again, I think... For novelty's sake, it's it's utilizing a lot of the DS's uh, capabilities. I would actually okay. recommend the sequel. You don't really need to play the first one. Uh, to uh, the story is not a huge uh, element in these. So Spectros Beyond the Portals uh, is the sequel, and uh, the combat system in that game is way better than the one in the first game. And it also has dark Spectros in it, which are obviously the edgier versions of normal spectrobes of course makes perfect sense but uh, yeah that's all i would uh no that's thank you um and then other than that i mean pokemon but i figure we can we can loop back to that evan because i know you've also been playing that sure um and actually one more recommendation uh have you oh. ever played SteamWorld heist i have okay. yeah so lovely yes no I, I i've enjoyed all all of the steam world um, games have been thoroughly enjoyable. I, I, I'll have to rack my brain as well. Um, and of course... Yeah, well, I, I certainly think I'll be digging back into the Star Ocean franchise. Sure. So I, I know there's a new one announced for for next year, I want to say. Yeah. Um, I, I can't say I'm fascinated by the art style they've gone with. That main character looks like he has a giant head, but mm. so be it. Yes, such is the way of many character designs. 
Uh, and you know, of course, classic fantasy star is is always fun to yes, to go back yeah, to. yep. Um, but man, I'm trying to think of other sci-fi RPGs. That's a I I did also dabble a little bit in um, some of the Game Boy Advance Dragon Ball Z games. Oh yeah, the Legacy of Goku two I played for a little bit. There's actually um, someone yeah. I follow. There's someone I follow on Twitter playing uh, Attack of the Saiyans right now, which is an RPG. Is that the um, Super Nintendo one with the cards? No, it's it's actually for DS. Ah. Uh. Um, but well received and you know a, a pretty fun romp. So. And developed by Monolith Soft. Ah, uh, yes, that that is uh, one of the the key takeaways there. So. <laughs> They were they were doing all sorts of stuff back uh, back before they really hit their stride with Xenoblade. That, that's about it. I think we can toss to Jeremy. He's got quite the list there. Indeed. Yeah. So last time I was on the show, I had just started playing Cosmic Star Heroine, and then I rolled and I got the quest for playing a less than twenty hour RPG. I had about a week to get that quest done, so I was considering trying to plow through Cosmic Star Heroine or trying to play something else. Uh, I ended up playing something else, which I'll get to at quest time. When I finished that and I tried to go back to Cosmic Star Heroine, I was not hooked. Um, maybe I'll go back to it again and see if I can pick it up, but there was the siren's call of Chemco was calling out to me. Uh, there was a Chemco game that I have on my wish list. It was on sale. I picked it up. Uh, so I am now playing Dragon Lapis. Uh, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm breaking honest, I... Evan's heart. <laughs> it hurts. It really does hurt. But no. Uh, tell tell us all about Dragon Lapis. So Dragon Lapis is from Exe Create. That's the developer. Uh, they're a frequent partner of Chemco. I talked about this previously on the show. Uh, they have a series of games that are not connected story wise, but connected mechanically. That are all in a faux eight bit style. They're meant to mimic you know early Final Fantasies and really early Dragon Quest games. Uh, the original game in that series was Dragon Sinker, which um, I loved. Probably one of the best Chemco games out there. Uh, very nice class system, very simple and straightforward, but you get complexity out of it, well-balanced. I could go on and on. Uh, the latest one was Alvastia Chronicles, which was in the same style but wildly different. It was a game where – it's one of those games where you're going to recruit 100 party members and – each of your characters gets three little followers and you can choose any of their abilities in a party of four, which is actually a party of like ten. They're actually thirteen. Either way, both really fun games. There's a game in the middle, Dragon Lapis, which is not as well received as the other two, so I hadn't quite gotten around to it yet. But they recently announced that the next game in the series is coming out. It's called Dragon Frania. It's coming out in 2022. So I was like, I gotta play Dragon Lapis. Uh, very much built in a similar way as the other two games. Um, it's got the enemies lined up in a two-by-two two grid, so you have various attacks that can attack single enemies or all enemies or in rows and columns. Uh, the big difference here is that you have a static four party members uh, who are all working within a class system that is based on these items called growth plates, and they're kind of like mini um, sphere grids. Uh, but the way it works is not really all that intuitive, which makes me understand why the game wasn't as well received. Because basically, you have sphere each plate you get, you work your way through the grid, 
and then you unlock abilities, and you get stat upgrades, and then basically once you finish that plate, it just disappears. And you have no record that you did that plate other than what effect it's had on your character. You can then equip the same plate again, get the same stat boost, and then very slightly upgrade the abilities that were on that plate. But again, the game's not really tracking it for you, other than if you complete a a class-specific plate, you can upgrade your class level or your job level. Um, So it's taken me a little while. I put a few hours into it. I'm still getting the groove for the system. Um, It's not bad by any means. It's just not – like if you compare this system to the job system in Dragon Sinker, like Dragon Sinker feels like it blows it out of the water just because of how straightforward and understandable it was. But enjoying it so far, it's it's scratching the itch that I wanted to scratch. Okay, but uh, in comparison with, I guess, the other dragon titles, it's it's not really, uh, or you wouldn't rank it as high. No, it's definitely behind Dragon Sinker and Alvastia Chronicles for me so far. But it'll probably stay there because those are both very good games with very clearly defined systems that aren't as confusing. Okay. But it's got the same charm, which I enjoy. So narrative gripping you in any way shape or form i would never describe the narratives of these games as gripping (laughs) (laughs) okay uh they very much harken back to you know like i said the 8-bit style so it's kind of the storytelling is very much between an 8-bit game and a 16-bit game um but it's crammed with the usual kenko goofiness um something i really liked about dragon sinker was that the main character is you know, the voiceless. Um, but when you get dialogue options for him, it's usually either you're going to play him as this paragon of virtue hero, or you're going to play him as like this mean spirited, bigoted idiot. Uh, <laughs> and usually the characters react in kind. So if you, you make some stupid offensive comment, they're going to like berate you in a very humorous way. Um, and this game seems to be building the same way where your main character you, again, you have options that are like, oh, I'm the nice guy, or, oh, I'm kind of a jerk, and then everybody's mad at you. Um, but it's always <laughs> done in a funny way, so I'm enjoying it. That uh, that gives me uh, like sort of early Paper Mario vibes when you had a lot of partner dialogue. You could choose to either be an asshole or you know, a genuinely nice dude. Um, so that's, that's neat, yeah. at least. Um, so outside cool. of that, um, I've also been playing a little bit of Legend of Zelda: Ocarina of Time uh, on NSO. I'm not, which is not an RPG. Well, it depends. <laughs> uh, I'm not having the issues everyone's complaining about. I don't know if you guys have dabbled much with the N64 app. I haven't had zero performance issues. I haven't had any input lag. Everything looks fine. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, I can't say. I, you know, I've played Mario Kart 64 recently on a 64, and fuck, there's so much input lag, and old Nintendo 64 controllers are awful. <laughs> so I think for, for, for me, everything's counteracted by the nice new, uh, you know, Nintendo Online or using the Switch Pro controller. So I think even if there is anything there, it's yeah. masked by having a responsive controller. Yeah, so you you have your hands on one of those uh, NSO N sixty four controllers. Yeah, it's it's really nice. It's nice and weighty, which is good. They've they've sort of you know filled the memory card slot with uh, a slab of cement. Would you say would you say that it's comparable to the weight of uh, original? Um, probably with a rumble pack in it. Okay, makes sense. 
but your center of balance is slightly different because you know you don't have the giant back of the rumble pack hanging right. out um it, it's really it's quite comfortable um and it's it's nice using a 64 controller with a you know a decent joystick i've got some you know just knockoff ones i've bought over the years off ebay for five dollars and they're the joystick's always just slightly off it's too tall too short the just the radius is, is slightly off um so it really does feel quite nice to use yeah i mean if you don't mind just going into a little a controller tangent for a hot second and sorry jeremy we'll come back to your thoughts on ocarina of time but you know this is something that i'm always concerned about and i guess i never really realized how bad uh, things were until i was in college and uh you know i brought my wii uh with me to college and i wanted to play smash brothers with uh with you know people who came over to my house so i went over to like gamestop and i picked over some or i picked up some of their um gamestop brand gamecube controllers and i brought them home and i was like wow these are garbage um uh, and you know Not that's wrong. kind of been the <laughs> uh but that's kind of been you know, my experience with a lot of third-party controllers since then. And, you know, again, really one of the exceptions that I would uh, I would make to that, which, you know, in, in some ways it's a little bit jankier, but the Split uh, Pad Pro is just... I was going to say, we have to get sponsorship money from them soon, surely. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, ergonomically is... is very sound, but you can tell that it, uh, in terms of weight, there's not much in there right uh i sometimes i find the sticks feel a little tall yeah yeah just a little but other than that i yeah i've become so used to it um playing handheld that jumping between that and the pro controller i've got absolutely no issues whereas jumping between switch handheld and pro controller you know it takes me a little bit and you know a part of me really does want to <laughs> buy an nso and 64 controller even though i do not have the expansion pack and i don't plan on getting it in any capacity uh i i think i would just like to have a nice n64 controller but uh, just an extension to either of you do either of you have uh, third-party controllers for the switch specifically or third-party controllers in general uh, not since I was in high school and I was the youngest brother and got stuck with the third party controller every time. <laughs> so I, I don't, uh, uh, what's, what's the word on principle? I do not buy third party controllers. Yeah, I, I get it. And you definitely get what you pay for, um, with any of Nintendo's products. I feel there. I, I mean, I personally, and th this is a hill I'll die on. I think the Wii U Pro Controller is one of the most comfortable controllers I've ever played with, to the point where I actually have an adapter for my Switch to use my Wii U Pro Controllers because I love them so much. But um, oh wow, I just think uh, Nintendo's quality in separate controllers is usually pretty nice, with the exception, of course, being the Joy-Con. Now, I, I do have one third-party controller, um, for the switch i've just sent a message into our discord chat it is the uh dragon quest slime hurry controller oh yeah uh, i can't judge you for that <laughs> it's uh, i uh when they originally came out i really wanted one and they they sold out pretty much right away and then i think a, a couple of months after i got the alert from amazon saying they were back in stock and i'm like all right i've got to yeah i've got to get this bad boy i think this mimics the design of the wii controller too 
right? Because I think there's a originally... yeah, I think there's a there's a PS4 one as well, yeah. and there's a yeah, there's a few. Yeah, I, I did see recently a Wii one that was a giant. I think the joystick was a giant sword. Um, <laughs> that might have been uh, for the release of Dragon Quest Swords potentially, but I think you could play that game yeah. with only a uh, Wii remote. But yeah, uh, third party controllers never really my thing and um i'm actually just paying really close attention to a kickstarter right now there's an esports team i guess uh called panda global who uh they're they're very well known for you know sponsoring uh i I guess most recently they are going to be partnering with nintendo for official super smash brothers tournaments in the united states but uh they also just published this Kickstarter for a wireless GameCube controller that they want to be future-proof, so you can update the firmware to go to other consoles as well. And it looks like a really nice controller, and considering they're a uh, a group that has professional Smash Brothers players, uh, I would think that it'd be pretty high quality. So I'm kind of keeping a tentative eye on that. I feel I did hear something. Have they? I'm assuming they've gone the analog triggers as well and everything. They have, and I think there's some neat stuff going on where you can adjust the uh, the. I guess a, a part of me just impulsively wants to say torque, but uh, you can adjust the springiness, I guess, or or the 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 response. It's much more, much more our scientific term, the springiness. Yeah, right. <laughs> Um, uh, of the triggers themselves but i think they're trying yep. to make it a very mod friendly uh, sort of device which i think is pretty neat in any case jeremy the legend of zelda ocarina of time well to loop the controller discussion all the way back around the only difficulty i've been having in terms of you know the emulation has has been using the pro controller because the joystick is so much tighter than the very loosey-goosey N64 controller joystick. Mm. Yeah. Um, So I sometimes try to do those really precise movements that my brain knows about, and then it doesn't happen. So still making the adjustment there. Um, But overall, I mean, what what new could a person say about Ocarina of Time, one of the most beloved Zelda games? Dare I say one of the most beloved RPGs uh, to ever grace... A Nintendo platform, <laughs> and we've lost Evan. <laughs> I don't know what what could one say. Uh, it... Only that the game is as enjoyable as ever. <laughs> you can definitely see the age. I mean, it is a, a game from many many years ago, and it shows. Um, but it's a game that I've loved for more than half of my life, so I will enjoy playing it yet again. I get it. I uh, you know I guess. Uh, I missed out on the N64 era, so I remember seeing people play Ocarina of Time. I might have gotten my hands on it once or twice, but a lot of those control issues that you talk about, and this might also come back to me playing it on Virtual Console for Wii. Um, You know, I I played the 3DS version too, which I didn't really think had great controls either, but that's maybe just a personal thing. Um, you know, without those gates that an N64 controller has, and, you know, a GameCube controller ha- has them too, but I think without those gates, uh, sometimes movement, uh, precise movement in that game can be a little mm-hmm. tough. Um, but, you know, aside from that, obviously it's iconic in so very, very, very many ways. 
What else have you been playing? Uh, the last thing on my list for today is, so I was off visiting family uh, for Thanksgiving, and whenever I travel and see uh, my one nephew, I always bring my Switch and my copy of Splatoon 2, because he loves Splatoon. Um, I actually was the person who introduced it to him back in the first game on the Wii U. He would play my console, and eventually he got a Switch and got Splatoon 2, and now he's obsessed. Uh, so we always play together when I go visit, but it reminded me of the fact that I still have not gone and sat down and played the Octo expansion. Um, so I've been sitting down a little bit here and there, just knocking out a few courses at a time um, on the expansion set, trying to finally be able to play online as an Octoling. You know, I, I'm, I am just going to say, I played Splatoon when it first released. I also played a lot of Splatoon 2 when that first came out, and I gave up uh, the ghost on Splatoon 2 just because I couldn't really get... I really wanted to get into ranked matches and play something a little bit more substantial than just uh, normal... Turf War. You know, yeah, Turf, turf War, um, pretty much. But, um, you know, I find it so funny that the single player in these games really does almost feel like an afterthought, and yet, even in being an afterthought, it is so much more... Uh, creative and polished and and really takes the game mechanics to their extremes um, in in ways that I don't think a lot of other shooter single player campaigns do, um, you know, with very few exceptions like Titanfall 2's, you know, single player campaign. Um, and so, you know, I, I haven't played much of Octo uh, expansion. I actually haven't played any of it because um, I don't own the game anymore. But uh, I am excited to get back into the single-player campaign of Splatoon 3, just because, I, I again, I just usually find these to be uh, enjoyable and really, really easily digestible. You know, you can you can really bang out a couple of these stages in no time at all, but uh, it, it does give you a sense of, of accomplishment in a lot of ways. Yeah, absolutely. I felt like, so I struggled with Splatoon 2's core single-player campaign, but only because it was so samey to Splatoon 1. Like, same right, structure, yeah. the levels were very similar, even up to the final boss was seemed felt very similar. Um, Octo Expansion, by reputation, they started to do some really interesting and creative things. What I've played so far has seemed like they're definitely trying to broaden their horizons a little bit on what they can do with the systems at play. So I am, at, like you, very much looking forward to what they do with Splatoon 3. Yeah, and you know, I, I, I think you could also argue that um, they maybe did a little bit of cutting and pasting with the base uh, single-player campaign for Splatoon 2, just because not a lot of people probably play the single player Splatoon 1. Valid. And and that's where I'll jump in. That's exactly why I jumped out of it. So I, long story, I, I used to play FPSs on consoles, Halo, Halo 3, uh, you know, but then I just dropped off. So I hadn't played a first person shooter with a controller probably since Halo 3. So getting into Splatoon 1, I absolutely struggled with the controls. Loved the story mode didn't play online splatoon 2 came out and i'm like i'll do the same thing i'll play the solo there really wasn't a lot there and then by the time the expansion came out i was just like nah hmm. so i think splatoon 3 i will not be touching with a 10-foot pole 
Um, unless there is, uh, and it's probably, it's just the controls. I think for me, it's been that long since I've played an FPS with a controller that my mind is just not mapping to it. Whereas, you know, play Overwatch or play things on the PC, absolutely no issues with the mouse and keyboard. So I think if this, if this was available with a mouse and keyboard, I'd be all over it. (laughs) Uh, I, I get it. I do. I, and I'm not really much of a shooter fan, uh, with a controller in in many uh, games, but um, you know, I, I think when the level design or when the mechanics are fun enough, I can stick with playing with a controller. Like I enjoyed mm. Doom twenty sixteen for for what it was, just because it was so much fun. But at the same time, I also did really like Splatoon's uh, controller setup. I really do like gyro aiming, and I found that to be really uh, helpful for me as someone uh, working on the the vertical axis and then kind of using the sticks for the horizontal axis. But uh, you yeah. know, again, see, I found that infuriating. <laughs> like if they would okay. just <laughs> so the motion controls, I ended up turning off because um, what I want to do is use the t- two sticks and then use the motion just for fine tuning, just so like a little quick jerk, just to get that little bit of extra aim precision. But when you turn on motion controls, they turn off the Y axis. <laughs> you know, right. just I'm like why, why, why? Uh, so I've played both Splatoon one and Splatoon two just using two sticks motion oh, off. That might have been for me because yeah, I, I agree. I I like just the little fine tuning. I want to get it where I yep. need it to be, and then just move my controller just that half a centimeter just to. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess I'm weird then. Okay. No, lots of people yes. play it like yes. you do, and I'm sure it is better for the competitive scene to have that adjustment. Yeah, maybe. I just couldn't wrap my head around it, and I'm old and cranky and didn't feel like learning. And that's the same. I think my brain just does not want to map to it. It it just does not... You know, you. I want to go in a direction. My brain is not going, okay, do this. It's going, wait, what do we need to do again? And even after hours of playing, that just never went away. I get it. And that's really just sort of what drove me away. I get it. But I will say, if I were trying to play Splatoon with a mouse and keyboard, I would hold the keyboard like a Wii U gamepad, and I would try to use those gyro controls. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> um, but Jeremy, any any other comments about Splatoon or uh, any other games you've been playing? only other thing that's graced my time has been uh, randomly plucking away at... Uh... Twilight Princess Picross on my 3DS. Oh. <laughs> Which, you, uh, you use those Nintendo reward points? Uh, way back in the day, that's how I got it, and I just never finished all the puzzles, and I had a spare moment, and so I've been doing that like, oh, I've got ten minutes, let me whip out my DS for a second and do a puzzle. <laughs> I get it. Uh, again, I really need to get into Picross, uh, or Picross, or whatever we want to call it. Just because it it's fun, and I know that there's a couple, there's at least two, at least two, on Switch right now, right? Yeah. But uh, 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 there's a clo- closer to nine official ones. <laughs> okay, well, there's about there's about nine, right? <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I I definitely recommend it. There's even um there's a little like JRPG one with its own story in there. If you're just looking for something a bit more, or there's the Sega one, which is quite good, where you sort of, you know, the puzzles end up being characters from old Sega Mega Drive and Master System games. Yeah, part of me thinks, like, if this were to be 
combined with some other genre, it might really click for me. But I also, I think that there's something about the appeal of playing uh, these with touchscreen controls, which you probably can do uh, in handheld mode. But I think that I I do have the Twilight Princess um, Picross, so I think I'm going to, I'm going to get into that uh, probably just because again, I, I mentioned the other week that I'm, I'm, I am a Sudoku player. So I feel like it would be a, a, a easy transition. Uh, but with that in mind, uh, I can just touch on a couple of things that I've been uh, getting into. Uh, we'll probably have a little bit of a conversation about one of them, but Shin Megami Tensei five. So two weeks ago, uh, Nick asked me about whether or not I had met the fairies. Well, it's been two weeks. I've met the fairies. And so when <laughs> Nick said that he was roughly three times uh, f- further than me, uh, he wasn't lying, uh, which I guess, again, should tell you something about hard mode. Although what I will yeah. say... For, for your sake, Jeremy, I went safety mode, which is like 10,000% <laughs> damage. It was great. Just streamed through the game. Yeah. Well... Another thing I should say is that SMT is is a, especially on hard mode, takes a bit of time to get into. Um, I need to play this game for at least an hour and a half for me to like kind of be in the rhythm yeah. that I need for it. And the, the rhythm of just kind of getting into fights and, and fusing demons and also kind of getting a a grip on your surroundings and what you're going to need in order to progress further. Uh, it, it, it takes me a little bit of, of working up, but uh, I, I do love it. I love it very much. It's a gorgeous game uh, in, in an ugly way, right? Because it is, uh, I mean, the character designs are sometimes hideous. The world is in ruins um, and the music is unlike any other uh, RPG that you're going to play, but all of those uh, features really make it stand out and make it uh, a one-of-a-kind uh, sort of experience. The other thing I'll say is the story so far, you know, I, I do echo a lot of sentiments. It's not gripping me, and this is coming from someone who has enjoyed the story of other uh, SMT games. So f- the consensus that I've heard from some people is that the story of this game is weak, and I think that's a shame but I do think that the just addictive quality of the gameplay more than makes up for that. So that's all I'm going to say about uh, SMT. Uh, Nick, if you had any final thoughts about that, uh, you know, feel free to to toss them in right now. Well, so I jumped back on, played a little bit after we spoke last time. Um, then I stopped, and then I sat down on my computer and I installed the Halo Infinite beta and then played that. Uh, and have not gone back to Shin Megami since (laughs) so okay um I I think it's really it was that lack of story I there's story there but it's it's not and everyone's like oh you know the Shin Megami stories are more world building and and larger scale and I'm like yeah but there's still not really a story it's just everyone going oh look God's doing something and then that's about it or not doing something um sometimes yeah or not doing something hey whichever way you want to take that um and and yeah and i think that that's sort of at the end of the day you know like i said i was playing on easy i'm not there for the gameplay uh it it was fine but i was there to try and find some story there was not much story to find i get it um and the the cast of characters they aren't doing any sort of heavy uh lifting 
No, there's there's not. You know, I think there's moments. There was. I'm still intrigued by. I forget his name. The uh, the lovable lout with his yellow baggy jumper on. Um, that's the one. I there's something going on there that intrigues me, and and if anything, I kind of want to see where he ends up. Um, I think he's he's probably captured me more than any of the other characters simply because he seems to have some things. You know, you encounter him, and it's like, how the hell did you get here, mate? You're 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 terrified of battling, yet here you are after I've just gotten past three heavy bosses, and you're just here going, huh? Oh, where should we go next? So I I I feel there's more there, and if there's not, then that's probably a bit of a waste. Yeah, no. Uh, again, from what I've heard, there is there is more to him, but uh, I do think that he is one of the more uh, well. He he's he's one of the characters that gets the most development. But I, I completely yep. get it, and I get why uh, it might be something you, you're bouncing off of. For me, it's the gameplay, and the gameplay is is king right now. The size of this current map that I'm, that I'm in is it never ceases to boggle my mind. It's so big um, and takes you in such weird places. But uh, we'll uh, hopefully in the near future, I'll have some final thoughts about uh, SMT. I'm kind of hoping as the holidays come around, I'll I'll dip in, into some other stuff instead, just because I'd like to have some more fun uh, with some other games and kind of close out the year uh, looking back fondly on a lot of the experiences that I've had. But aside from that, uh, I have been playing, uh, taking a break from the stress of uh, SMT by playing something that is uh, the antithesis of stress. Pokemon Shining Pearl. So, uh, Nick, you are also playing Pokemon? Yep, I am playing... Uh, what? I think Shining Pearl? Maybe the Diamond? I don't know, to be honest. I stuck one in and started playing it. Um, it's it's the one that has Scyther, because that's really all it comes down to for me when I pick a Pokemon game. Is Does it have Scyther? Yes or no? And this one did. Okay, I think that's... So, uh, it's... And, and like I've said before, I have not... I don't think I've ever played Diamond or Pearl. Um, which is funny because I jumped back in at Black or White and, you know, I think there was quite a bit of evolution occurring at that point or more for me at Black and White, I saw all the small evolutions that had occurred in the previous gens slammed into that because I'm playing this and I'm like, this is just red, blue, gold, silver they still hadn't really moved away from the formula. Um, I mean, they don't move away from the formula too much, but, you know, it was still very similar with regards to town structures, uh, story beats, moving around. But at the end of the day, it's Pokemon. I'm still having fun. So. Yeah, well, here's what I'm going to say. Uh, no Pokemon game has ever had a good story, and I include uh, Black and White, and I especially include uh, Sun and Moon in that camp. I did not enjoy the narratives of either of those games, and in fact, I feel that the more attention that Game Freak gave to narrative, uh, the more ridiculous uh, it, it looked for them trying to write a decent story. Um, yeah. You know, the the fun of Pokemon is is the fun of really any uh, voiceless protagonist, which is getting to be yourself um, and and have your own ambitions, which is usually to to, to be the best. 
And when they try to kind of force character motivations on you or make other characters be like, oh, but when I saw you and your Pokemon, I just realized you have such a strong bond. And I'm like, come on, I box my Pokemon when I don't need them. And I never talk to them. Exactly. You get the old, the old whip on the sand shrew. Exactly. Um, But no, I, I'm uh, coincidentally, I've been watching a bit of the, uh, the last season of Pokemon over the last few months and, just as a side note, it is quite fascinating because they've finally gone. So, you know, Ash is always, I want to be a Pokemon master. But he's got a little buddy, Go, who his goal is to catch as many Pokemon as he can. So it's quite refreshing when you see five minutes of an episode and this character, Go, catches about 12 Pokemon. And Ash is like, what? So that's that's, that's quite novel. But um, no, I think, you know, I, I'm enjoying myself. It is, I've got... The first two badges, the fourth badge, and I've just circled back to try and get the third badge. Whether I got it or not, I can't recall. I struggled a little bit with the um, the third gym leader, so I sort of um, trucked on ahead, got the fourth badge, and, and looped back. Yeah, well, um, which that, was that is pleasantly surprising that I could do right, that. That is that's so, a, definitely yeah. a neat part of this game, right? Uh, and uh, l- listen, no no Pokemon game really is non-linear. I think maybe Gold and Silver had a couple of opportunities where you could head off in, in different directions and tackle certain objectives first, but uh, you would be locked out of, of certain goals. But I, I love uh, Sinnoh as a region. Um, I really do love how you kind of you you fold in upon yourself at several uh at several opportunities you know you kind of go north and then loop back around with cycling road uh you you go on another big loop um for the third and fourth gym and then you actually kind of go back uh west uh past the one of the first cities that you visited to uh to take on i think gym number five but uh you know, I, I love this region, and there's a part of me that almost wishes that I could stick around longer in some of these locations, um, but I don't really find that to be much of an issue because of experience share. And I will say, I did encounter some of the uh, the same problems um, with the third gym leader, which was satisfying to me in some ways, but the problem that I had was actually that my Pokemon were over level 30 when I was fighting um, because they were just getting over leveled and they weren't listening to me anymore when I was trying to (laughs) use them uh, in this gym, which was frustrating. And I think a part of that comes from the experience share, which I, I, I don't get it. I don't get why you can't turn this off. I don't understand the design choice behind that. I think it is absolutely ridiculous, but yeah, I mean, I 100% agree that it should be able to be turned off. I do understand the appeal of it being there. Um, I can't I can't I, I get, speak and, to Brilliant Diamond Shining Pearl because I'm waiting for it on my Christmas list. But right. when I played Sword and Shield, what Experience Share being on allowed me to do was catch and use more Pokemon, which I loved. Because every gym I went to, I'd see what type, and I'd be like, okay, I'm going to build a team that's built for this gym. And I don't need to do yep. that. I pretty much cleared every gym using just one Pokemon. But from a role-playing perspective, it was it made me feel more like a Pokemon trainer to be able to. Yeah, well, that, that's that's exactly what I did for the third gym. You know, I went out and I, I found a Mime Junior. Um, I couldn't really level him up efficiently, so I stuck him in the party. Um, but yeah, I guess to your point, Evan, you know, if you could turn that off, great. Um, but I think that 
you know, it, yes, it's just if it's where it is at the moment. If, it's, it's if things weren't so laughably easy, uh, and if it wasn't just so easy for you to when you're fighting, um, you know, really any Pokemon that is above ground. And I will say that maybe the Grand Underground is like sort of a a, a, a counterbalance to this because the, those Pokemon. Yeah, so is is that new? That whole is that underground stuff? The new? underground was in the original version, um, and the reason they're calling it Grand is these new sort of areas where the Pokemon are roaming, like actually on the screen. Uh, th- yeah. that is I, I went under there once saw the giant map and <laughs> noped out and I said I will come back here another day uh, well I, I mean I, I will be honest that is one of my favorite parts of these games in particular and it's still good in this um, but yeah. the Pokemon that you encounter in there are in the late 20s um, and I think that's only for the first uh, sort of section of the Grand Underground because it's kind of split into yeah. three different zones, um, which you can only get to by being uh, above ground in the right place, right? So if you are up in some of the northern uh, towns and locations and you you dip under there, you can get into a new area. But um, I, I would say that that feels like it's a counterbalance, except if you go down into the underground when you first get that underground kit, you're fighting Pokemon that are probably stronger than your team is which means that you can really run the risk of of buffing your team up uh, super high and so maybe on the opposite end when you're stronger than those pokemon they can be a, a great way to level things up but uh yeah i mean i i get what you're saying jeremy and the the thing <laughs> the thing that i i really love about smt uh is that you're forced to do that. Whenever you fight a boss, you have to make a team uh, in order to make sure that you're covering the right weaknesses and that you're going to be prepared to fight that enemy, um, which is fun role-playing. But I don't really get that same feeling in Pokemon because of how easy battles end up being unless they do something like making my Pokemon disobey me, which is the most frustrating uh, sort of way of confronting uh, over-leveling ever. Yeah, I've never in my, gosh, decades of playing Pokemon games, uh, I've never been in a situation where my party was that over-leveled. Well, that's what's funny, too, is that I... I haven't either, and this is the first time that it's ever happened to me. And so I'm kind of like trying to think, like, where did I go wrong here? Like, what did I mess up with? Um, well, yeah, because I mean, I I tend to f- spend. Uh, I think the first, you know, if we break down a Pokemon game, the first six gyms is me dodging every encounter I can in the overworld because I really don't want to have to battle people. I just want to get to the gyms and progress the game as much as I can. So going into a gym, I often do have to, like you, Jeremy, sort of go and pick a team and sort of give them a bit of a a workout and then sort of attack the gym leader if it were. Well, the trainer battles in this game, though, they don't feel all that difficult, but they do give you a lot of experience. So if you just like accidentally run into one of them, you can buff some of your Pokemon up uh, quite a bit. And, you know, again, the team that you might have uh, prepped with you is maybe not the team that you want. And where it really becomes a problem in in this game specifically is that 
this region, as much as I love it uh, for its its geographical or I guess topographical elements, um, I don't love its its variety of Pokemon. You know, you are still mm. seeing Bidoofs uh, by Gym three or four, and it's like, okay, we get it. We can we can <laughs> see something else now. It's perfectly fine, um, and that that's a little frustrating to me. So. Bidoof isn't really even helpful against uh, fighting Pokemon for obvious reasons, but it just, it, it seems a little bizarre. But he has all my HMs. Oh, oh yeah. He's, he's definitely doing a lot he's of, very useful. he's, he's, he's a star when it comes to HMs. Um, and Viberol is, it's not a terrible Pokemon, um, but yeah, that, that part doesn't really uh, make me very happy. What I-, what I am enjoying though, and and is walking around in the world, I, I'm finding a bit more than you know in Sword and Shield. Like I, I stumbled into a, I want to say it was a, and it, it might come up in the story later, but a restaurant. I walked in there, I spoke to someone, and they battled me, and then I just noped out. But like I'm finding little things like that, or this this hotel that is sitting in the middle of nowhere. I've got no idea what that hotel does. I talk to people, they battle me, and I leave. But it seems like there are just some areas scattered around that are just, oh, here's a bunch of people going about their day and they want to battle me. Yeah. Which, whether it, it builds into the story later or whether it's just a zone that is just existing, um, I've, I've found those quite interesting that I've sort of just stumbled across them and gone, what's all this about? Yeah, I, I agree. I think that there is just like a nice sense of world building here where... Uh, and, and even just the length of routes, too, right? It feels like a substantial distance to get from one place to the next. Like, don't get me wrong. Yep. There was one cave in Sword and Shield that looked gorgeous. And I just remember, like, standing there for a hot second and being like, wow, this is pretty. It's got very nice atmosphere. And then, like, five minutes later, I was done with the route. And I was like, hmm. uh, is that all? Really? it was a it was a little bit disappointing so um uh, you know that's something that i like about these older pokemon games is that they really do feel the the sense of traveling from place to place uh does feel substantial but also hey they give you fly pretty early on in this game too yeah um and i didn't realize because i think i yeah i've got it now i i have found myself using it though because i'm still sort of finding that if i need to walk from city to city there's almost different ways, you know, different paths I can be taking. So I'm not having to necessarily trudge straight back through the same the same stream of land. I can sort of walk a little to the left and, and the layout's a bit different. There's a few different people to encounter, yeah, yeah. which has been quite yeah, nice. Yeah, and, and there's lots of nooks and crannies in, in these games. And it that's something that I really like about it. There's just a lot of space to explore where things are are not as linear as the as the other games and you really only get that sense of i don't even want to call it non-linearity but like space in the wild areas of sword and shield and yes exactly you know i have heard that the dlc expansions for sword and shield are essentially just like more wild areas and honestly that's the most appealing part of those of that game to me um and so a part of me is like Eh, should I maybe pick these up? But at the same time... I, yeah, but I, I kind of want them to like intertwine the wild areas with towns, you know? Like, have have the wild area just 
thrown through the town it doesn't need to be an open field here's some grass look at these pokemon wandering around yeah it, it's it uh, yeah i i'm at the point i i love the franchise but it's ridiculous yeah I, I get they it. are it's the largest media franchise in the world i i completely <laughs> understand and yeah. I, I don't even think that that's how things are going to be with uh legends either um i think that would be maybe a little bit generous in in thinking that might be the case but uh that does seem a little bit more open than other Pokemon games. So rather than picking up the expansions for Sword and Shield, I think I'm going to stick with Brilliant uh, or Shining Pearl and probably dip my toes into Arceus early next year. I, I find I find it fascinating just to hear both of your approaches to a- addressing a Pokemon game. Um, and maybe, you know, I-, I think this might be just like a little bit of crotchety old man uh speak from me personally because like i have approached almost every pokemon game well i i shouldn't say that i i got to a point with some of the pokemon games where i would catch you know one or two pokemon a route but i would say to myself all right well which pokemon am i really gonna have time to dedicate like and train out um rather than like picking up Pokemon nearby because Pokemon nearby aren't always going to be helpful for you in tackling a challenge. Right. Um, And so one of the things that I think the grand underground does really well is it kind of gives you the tools that you might need to. Yep. So you, you can find what you need for your challenge as opposed to using what's around you. Because those, those big rooms that are underground, they are themed around like certain types and it's a little bit up for debate. Like you can get, you can get a lot of gravelers down there, trust me, Mm. but uh, you can also, you know, find your hound dooms uh, or, you know, maybe a rare uh, electric Pokemon that you wouldn't expect. And that can, that can help you build a team that you want, but it's, it's that level, uh, that base level that those wild Pokemon are at that makes it, uh, I guess it's not that big of a problem in the early game. Um, but after this first, like, I don't know, I guess first half of gym leaders, right. I'm, I keep forgetting that there are eight gym leaders. Uh, yeah. But after this first half, you will have, uh, some new challenges to deal with and well so like I, i'm now you know we've got the four it's now just sort of hey i i'm starting to intertwine with team whatever the name is plasma magma sausage i can't remember Galactic. um but you know just starting to intertwine with them so it's obviously that that's when that's going to start kicking off yeah um and and then i find you know you, you pokemon game you tend to have a few more less the gym focus now do a few little areas you've got to explore and get around throw in a gym or two um but i yeah i kind of get to that six or seven gym point and then i like to just travel back around the world and that's probably when i will start to collect a few more pokemon and and start to go hey who out here do i want to be finishing the game with you know who's the team that i've seen across this game that i want to carry with me but uh with that being said why don't we head into our quests right We've we, we've had some quests uh, for a while that uh, that we've really wanted to to get into and talk about, and looks like we've got some some fun stuff to talk about. So, Jeremy, do you want to start us off uh, by telling us what your quest was? Uh, yeah. So, the quest that I had to undertake was it was actually an enemy encounter. I needed to play a RPG that was less than twenty hours in length, uh, which is right up my alley. 
Uh, I really enjoy budget RPGs, um, partially because, you know, I have such little time to play games uh, with two young kids at home. But the other part is just I really enjoy tight, focused experiences, and budget RPGs really uh, scratch that itch for me. Uh, so when I got the challenge, I decided I was going to go ahead and pick up a game fresh that I had never played before. So I went back uh, into my very long list of games that I want to play, and I picked up West of Loathing. Uh, for those who are unfamiliar with West of Loathing, it is a sequel to a game called Kingdom of Loathing. It is a series of RPGs that are about 10 hours in length, and the art style is all stick figures. Uh, so it's... <laughs> Very much a light on story, heavy on text kind of RPG. There's some elements that harken back to old point-and-click adventure games, uh, but it very much infuses a lot of humor, both into the dialogue, into the scenarios, um, into different abilities that you get. Uh, very amusing game. Uh, I would say it's rarely laugh-out-loud funny, uh, but it's often I'm going to have a little chuckle funny. Oh, see, that's where, that, and that's so funny. I, I, I found it to be very consistently laugh out loud. <laughs> and to me, playing through this game and looking at the quality of jokes and also the consistency of jokes in this game uh, made me realize again, like how poorly written, or, and I guess I shouldn't say poorly written, but like poorly localized a lot of other RPGs are, you know, like, some Japanese humor translates uh, to Western audiences, but this is really, this plays a lot with the English language in ways that are satisfying. Um, and so I, I found a lot of the jokes to be pretty funny, but um, I, I would agree with you in that it is, it's a very text heavy, but not necessarily story heavy uh, title. Absolutely. Uh, in terms of mechanics, uh, it's basic turn-based combat. Uh, it does work on a grid system, so a 3x3 three three grid on both sides, although your character is pretty much always stuck in the dead center with a partner just behind you and mm -hmm. to one side. Uh, but the enemies can be arranged all over that 3x3 three three grid. Uh, if you do a standard attack, like a melee attack, you'll just run up and hit them. If you try and use your trusty sidearm, uh, you can fire uh, only at the front person uh, in each row. Uh, so it gives you a little bit of variety there. And then, obviously, there's a class system. You choose your class at the beginning of the game, and then you just kind of roll with it. Uh, but character progression itself uh, is highly customizable. Uh, the game will give you the option of automatically choosing what stats raise uh, as you gain experience points. Uh, they're kind of spent as currency. Uh, but it also gives you the option to just be completely open and you choose what you do. So even if you choose a magic focus class at the beginning of the game, you can dump all your stats into your strength class and just wallop people with a sword uh, till the cows come home. <laughs> and they will. They will. Well, they have. Straight they have from the pits home. of hell. <laughs> um, uh, something else I've, I've heard about this game that apparently it's pretty replayable in that Obviously, different classes, but also the different partners that you can get at the start of the game can kind of change the way that you progress through some stuff. And apparently this game has multiple endings, too. So, you know, I don't know what your initial experience was uh, with this. I found the combat to be really not much of anything um, throughout the entire experience. There were a couple of times where I was a little bit frustrated 
But uh, once I really just started specializing in my uh, specific class, I, I found it to be pretty easy. But I mean, in terms of gameplay or in terms of narrative, uh, did you find this to be satisfying enough that it would be something you'd want to come back to again? Yeah, I think I do want to go back and do another run with a different class and a different partner. There definitely was a moment when I was a few hours into the game where I was like, do I enjoy this game? Um, I was still wrapping my head around how the progression system worked and what all the stats mean and all of that. Um, and then I eventually found my groove. Like you said, once you start specializing and figure out what you actually want to do with your character, it gets a lot easier. Um, there's also very handily, there's specific areas in the game where they let you grind. Um, yeah. where there'll just be a pit and you can walk up to that pit and be like, oh, there's monsters down there. You want to fight them? Great. And you just do that over and over again. And usually those are um, set up in a way that you can not only for you to grind your character, but your partner, because uh, your partner only gets right. experience for killing certain enemy types that's related to their backstory. Uh, so I had, right. yes. um, she was like the town doctor from the starting town who came with me, and she hates the undead. So every time I killed a skeleton, she got experience. Um, so... I would take her to the pit of skeletons and we would just kind of plow through it. And there were several of those scattered throughout the game where they'd just be, this is a dungeon that has skeletons in it and there's a grind spot. Um, which I felt thankful to the developers for dropping those places in. Yeah, well, and also they do that lovely thing that developers, uh, well, I mean, I just found it to be rather pleasant in this game, mostly because sometimes you feel like you're just going from place to place and kind of figuring out uh, what items you need to progress the story. But this game does have random encounters in a very specific sort of way. Uh, and I found those to be like a nice surprise and refreshing little uh, break from the main narrative. So I like that personally. Any uh, any other thoughts of, about uh, West of Loathing? Nick, are you familiar with the game at all? I, I, I've had it on my wish list on the Switch for a long time, so it was interesting to hear, um, hear some takes on it, which is good. I, I, yeah, it, it, when it came out, I sort of saw it. I think the art style did grab me. You know, very simple, but quite quirky. Um, like I said, the stick figures, it, it looks interesting. Um, the, the West, is, is it actually like Western themed? Yes, it is, yes. <laughs> Yeah, because that that good because I think that was just something as well that it's not a you know it's not a narrative that that's used a lot in video games. Um, <laughs> it's so that's quite interesting. It's incredibly western. Uh, yeah, sometimes ridiculously so. But it also does make me really want to play Kingdom of Loathing too because I would love to see what mileage these writers could get out of the the sort of medieval. Uh, setting uh in in some ways too because there's a lot of weird wacky western jokes in this that constantly surprised me yep. and nick we can cross our fingers and hope that one day there'll be a galaxy of loathing just for you exactly no is it there, there was another i swear there's another switch rpg i've seen that's to do it's a cowboy themed and I'm, I'm trying to track it down i can't find it but it, uh, of course boot to hill find it, bounties or boot hill heroes those are the ones, yes. But coincidentally, to to find it, I've googled Western RPG, which really didn't help me because <laughs> yeah, it's not going to narrow it down. <laughs> right, I, I've just been taken to Fallout. 
So, um, but yeah, no, those boot ones, they, they also, I've got those sitting there on my list just as something that, that I think, you know, it's, I, I didn't grow up watching Westerns, but I grew up, I'm sure, you know, we're all similar ages with parents that really liked Westerns. <laughs> yeah. So there was always just enough that, you know, there were, there was a movie on, on Sunday night that your dad would watch or, or something like that. And it's, it's just, yeah, it's not a, I mean, m- maybe for you guys in America, but here it was sort of just a... You know, it, it tapered off very quickly from the generation. Yeah, sure. I, I get it. The the Boot Hill games. We've got a couple people, at least one person on the Switch RPG staff who is a mm. big fan of those. Uh, thinks they're, pr- they're pretty high quality. And I have reason to believe him. So, yeah, just a, a fascinating setting to have uh, for, for an RPG. I wish that uh, I wish <laughs> I wish that there was a Japanese style Western RPG. Well, I guess uh, Live a Live, right, has a Western sequence in it. Are either of you um, familiar with that? I haven't played it. I want to. <laughs> Maybe one day. Yeah, I feel like. No. Yeah, I, I feel as as uh, someone who is an appreciator of uh, of writing and and just the 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 structure of narratives, I I am very fascinated by it in my own way too. But yeah, West of Loathing. I mean, I I recommend it just for if you want a, a good chuckle um and you know I, I would say that i laughed out loud but even if you would just like a, a a good solid laugh i think it's worth the price of entry um i wouldn't say that anything else really sticks out to me about it other than the aesthetics uh, obviously but you really if you're looking for for good jokes it, that's the reason to play um jeremy would you agree or would you yeah i would i would uh, agree like i mean it's it's the mecha- mechanically it's solid enough for the price yeah. <laughs> um i think right, i think yeah. it delivers on its promises and it's certainly worth um the cost it's a solid budget rpg that i would recommend without reservation how, how long did it end up taking uh, about 10 hours yeah okay so you had 10 hours to spare on a second game is what i'm hearing <laughs> Well, now I'm playing. Now I'm playing Dragon Lapis, so that'll be less than twenty hours. Uh, there you go. Yeah, and hey, you know what else is also less than twenty hours? Cosmic Star Heroin. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. No, uh, Cosmic Star. Her- well, uh, the the Zavoid games too. They have a very unique sense of humor that is Western in a lot of ways too. So, I guess with that out of the way, I can move on to my new quest. Uh, my quest was an RPG with a weird character customization system. And uh, I, I thought about this one uh, quite a bit. I, I thought about several different games and what makes a customization system weird, per se. Um, you know, recently, or I guess not so recently, it was over a year ago, I played uh, Drawn Jin, which is uh, a first-person dungeon crawler for the Switch. Very simple game where you can level up by eating your own equipment. Uh, that is and when certainly I say weird. Eating, you, 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 you munch <laughs> on it. Um, but also a little bit too weird for my tastes. I wanted to try to toe the line of, uh, of, of oddities. And so the three games that I'd like to mention are all united in a certain way. Uh, based on their character customization systems. So they're all weird, and they're weird in the same way. 
And so these three games that I'd like to talk about are Pandora's Tower, uh, Solitarobo, uh, Red the Hunter, which is a very odd late DS uh, action RPG, and then Arc Rise Fantasia, which is a Wii RPG that is well known for having one of the worst localizations uh, in, well, on the Wii at least, because the Wii didn't have a whole lot of RPGs, but... Uh, yeah, Arc Rise Fantasia. When I say its localization is bad, I mean in terms of its voice acting. Uh, it seems absolutely out of context, which is a shame because the rest of the game is really rather fascinating and has some great systems in it. But all three of these games utilize a level... I guess I don't want to call it a level-up system, but they, they, they utilize stat systems for their either equipment or their characters um in arc rise fantasia it's specifically the weapons that you have uh that you are customizing in solitarobo it is your mech that you're piloting and in pandora's tower it's the character themselves uh but all of these games actually feature uh grid based uh <laughs> level up systems and uh, for those of us who maybe have played a, a Final Fantasy game, right? You might say, oh, a grid? Well, <laughs> we have those. They're called sphere grids. Well, hold on there, bucko. Because um, <laughs> the comparison that I want to make to this, uh, or the, the way that I would communicate this is, it's very much similar to a Resident Evil game, right? Uh, where you have certain items that you have to fit into your inventory in in some way so that you can actually carry them. So Pandora's Tower has this uh, lovely sort of equipment screen where you can put certain items that you've crafted uh, onto uh, this grid. And depending on whether or not you can fit them, you'll gain certain stat bonuses uh, in, in certain areas. And so I believe the character kind of levels up in terms of hp and attack rather consistently but uh you can further enhance your abilities by placing these little trinkets onto this inventory grid um, in the same way solitarobo your mech has this sort of grid that you have to fit um little chips onto uh, in a way that's almost similar to tetris uh, which is is very novel and, and unique um and although Solitarobo's like stat bonuses and the things that you get from putting these chips on um, are they, they don't have as much of an impact on the gameplay just because it's a pretty straightforward, simple action RPG. Uh, it's still a very novel uh, concept. And again, the same thing happens. You kind of put uh, certain gems and uh, pieces of equipment onto your grid in Arc Rise Fantasia. And I guess as I'm thinking about this, this is also something that you get to do in uh, a great uh, 3DS game. It also was released on the Switch called The Keep, although it's specifically you put magic nodes onto a grid. But uh, just to toss it over to uh, either of you, uh, have, have either of you played any of these games? Other than Pandora's Tower, I can't even say I've heard of them. Yeah. I haven't played any of them. I played all of these games as an attempt to like buff out the libraries for each of these uh, systems. Although, you know, I played mm -hmm. Pandora's Tower because it was a part of the whole Operation Rainfall trilogy, which uh, at the time 
was kind of convincing me that uh, that RPGs were the genre that I loved. Um, and I found this this system in Pandora's Tower to be so neat, but there's a whole lot of other stuff going on in Pandora's Tower too that is maybe a little bit more memorable. Um, but I think that this is, uh, is just something that I really like. Solitarobo, absolutely bizarre game. Uh, if you are looking for any sort of lineage, uh, a tactics RPG called uh, Fuga Memories of Steel, I think, came out on the Switch which is based in the same universe. So might be a, a nice uh, sort of point of reference. Uh, and Arkrise Fantasia is just weird and out there in its own way. Um, very hard to play on any system other than the Wii. So uh, you either got to emulate it or uh, try to pick up a copy. I'm very lucky to own one myself. Do you guys Very have nice. any any thoughts about unique or weird character customization systems? Anything come to mind for you? Not off the top of my head. Um, it's an interesting one, though, because obviously you've got, I mean, several layers of cu- customization because you've got either down to just the spells, the skills, um, spreading out down to more the actual armor, which, you know, I, I, it can probably come down to you do have certain games that will you know, I could even take something like Diablo three and just say, you know, the, just the armor, the aesthetic um, layering of building different armor sets and actually, you know, the look of your character, but also it completely changes your play style based on the armor, the weapons you're using. Um, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting topic and I could see you've, you have to give, really give it a, a, a level of thought, I guess. Yeah. Weird, weirdness. Um, because I, <laughs> As I struggled with mine, you know, some of these are that they don't seem open ended until you start thinking about your quest, and then, then you just don't know where to land. Yeah, well, and I think it's it's fun to bring a couple of games to the table or or settle on on one sort of idea, um, and these three are kind of tied together by this these sorts of equipment systems, which again you could maybe call them equipment, but they do contribute to your character stats and really how you're going to be playing the game. So it's a pretty fundamental aspect of character customization. Um, but that's all I have to say about that. It, it, again, it is a topic that I'd love to uh, expand on. Uh, Jeremy, any thoughts, any games that you've played in your time? Well, I mean, the two that come to my mind right away are, I mean, Dragon Lapis, as I talked about at the top, top of the show, <laughs> is certainly right. a bit of a bizarre one. Uh, we may take it for granted, but the junction system in Final Fantasy VIII. Yeah, no, I that's I think that's a great example. Actually, it's it's definitely weirder than <laughs> what we uh what we normally see from that series. Yeah, it's very very intricate and involved, and if you really want to dig deep into it, um, extremely hackable. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I love I love watching those speed runs just to see how they absolutely break that system wide open. Um, but that's my quest, uh, Nick. You want to tell us about yours? Not really, um, but I will. So w- when we rolled my quest last week, a bad sequel to an RPG. Evan and I had a bit of a call after because I, you know, it's a, it's an interesting topic because it's it's a bad sequel. It's not necessarily a bad game. And, and I think that's something I sort of, you know, I spent, um, thankfully we had, had a week off there with you guys having Thanksgiving, but I, I spent probably a week 
just researching until I came to a conclusion. And look at this guy. You know, there were certain things. Look at him doing yeah, research. There, there was, <laughs> yeah, and, and let's be honest, guys. I'm glad the night before the podcast, we uh, decided to push it back a week so you could have Thanksgiving because I was in trouble. Um, but no, I you know I had a couple of things on the short list, such as Mass Effect Andromeda could have easily been been looked into. Um, Dragon Age Two was another one, but I know I, I've spoken quite a bit about Bioware, so I thought I'll, I'll pass over those ones. Um, for now, even something like Diablo three, and and I thoroughly enjoyed Diablo three when it came out. Um, I you know put several hundred hours into it, but as a sequel, it's certainly not what the diehards wanted. Right. Um, and then last night it dawned on me what I should have really talked about was the sequel to I guess one of the JRPGs that really got me into the genre, Tales of Symphonia: Dawn of the New World on the Wii, which I still have never played. Um, and I've sort of actively avoided playing that because Tales of Symphonia, to me, it, it holds a very special place. Um, so I, other than when that was originally announced, I haven't even seen footage of it. I think I watched the trailer when it first got announced for the Wii and then I stopped and I've never thought about it again until last night. Um, <laughs> but where I landed, and I would like to point out I landed on this at least eight days ago and the rumors only started six days ago was chrono cross <laughs> oh so you know i clearly someone out there is just following what i'm up to and going hey here's the next big thing um so I, and it was interesting i was you know googling well you know worst rpg sequels bad rpgs bad sequels you know even even things like having a look at some Metacritic rankings and, and things like that from, you know, obviously a game like Chrono Trigger to Chrono Cross. And I, I, I'd never played Chrono Cross before. I've played Chrono Trigger and I finished that a couple of times. Chrono Cross, um, I didn't really play a lot of PS1 RPGs other than the Final Fantasies. Um, and, and I I, lo- I I pulled it up and I certainly recall the opening scene. It's just a very short little dungeon it's quite brown, it's quite shitty, and I'm pretty sure I've probably loaded up Chrono Cross multiple times, played the first 10 minutes and gone, this is a bit bland, and turned it off. <laughs> um, but for the sake of the podcast, I suffered through the first 30 minutes. Oh, wow. Um, and I'm I, I'm probably about maybe five or six hours in at the moment. And I'm just starting to see the story beats unlock, and, and for those that haven't played, you know, it's you've got the uh, right at the start of the game your your main character supposedly dies um and you find out in the first couple of hours there's now a, a split set of dimensions so you've got one world where he lived one world where he died uh that's effectively where i've gotten to because i've really just been um just sort of messing around trying to understand the the battle system a little bit there may be tutorials in there, but I know a lot of games from that period didn't hold them in there. So yeah, you had to you had to uh, do I'm, that I'm, archaic I'm, thing back then called reading the manual. I I know it's but yeah, I unfortunately do not have a right, manual exactly. So, <laughs> um, but no, it's it's interesting and a, a funny one because you know a a bad sequel purely because of how groundbreaking tr- Chrono Trigger was. Not necessarily in any way am I finding this to be a bad game. I'm I'm enjoying myself. There's no random encounters, which I'm finding quite interesting for a for a JRPG of the late '90s. Sure, yeah. But the 
the the battle system I'm enjoying, and I, I've it's it's sort of similar to I, I can't remember the term you used a couple of weeks ago, Evan. The um, the battle system where you sort of give and take, you know, based on your actions. So you're effectively you you go in, you know, you do a couple of melee attacks, and that builds you up points, which accrue in you know you then have. So if I've done four attacks, we'll say I'm now on level four. Now, behind the scenes, when I've configured my character, I'm assigning magic skills to the various levels. So if I've done enough physical attacks, I can now access my level four magic. So, or likewise, I could just access my level two magic and do that twice. So it's, it's, it's sort of an interesting, you know, get in there with a couple of cheap physical attacks, get out, have a look at what magic you've got allocated, what works. Um, I, I'm, I'm finding that quite interesting because I, I do enjoy a turn-based battle and it's not just, hey, I'm going to slam down here and use my skills every round. It's, hang on, let's build up my magic. Uh, I, I only got two attacks in there because a couple missed. So now I've got to change up my strategy this round. I can't just necessarily magma bomb the whole team and you know do, do damage to all the villains at the same time. So that's been quite interesting. And I, and I kind of really landed on it because I, I've never played it. So I thought it's a good excuse, you know, I know I skipped over the level 10 quest of, of playing a game and I thought, well, what better excuse than play a game that, that lands with my quest and I'm really enjoying myself. It's the, the villages, the towns, the aesthetic, you know, you've got a little seaside town. I always enjoy a nice seaside town in a JRPG. They seem to be quite prevalent in the PS1 era. <laughs> yeah. You know, you've got early Final Fantasy VIII, for instance. You've got, I forget the name of it, but where you go there, you get your car. There's a lovely little, it's where Zell, um, his family is from. It's a lovely little seaside village, always quaint. I think if there's one thing that the audio engineers on the PlayStation 1 could do, it was put together a good seagull sound effect. Yeah, and and also that uh, that ocean really is a, is a nice way to cut your uh, your game space off, so... <laughs> exactly right you know and and you awkwardly can never walk too far into the water there's always a a weird phantom wall that stops you from leaving the sand um but no i'm i'm enjoying it and i was doing a bit of reading this morning as well just to see what what's ahead of me and uh, i'm reading 45 party members which is is just quite fascinating um whether you know how permanent they are or, or how that works and holds together i'm i'm sort of keen to see um, it's certainly got my claw, its claws into me, and I, I'm just, I guess, keen to hear if either of you two have had any history with it. I will pass it over to you first, Jeremy. <laughs> uh, so, confession: uh, I've never played Chrono Trigger. <laughs> I know. Uh, so, no, I have not played Chrono Cross. Yeah, I, I, I don't know how it. Do they? Evan, I assume based on your pause and handover, it sounds like you've got some passionate pleas to share with us. But I, I'm I haven't quite like the word Chrono Trigger was literally just said in the last half an hour of me playing. So I I haven't I haven't tied together the games yet, and I'm I you know I'm still in that spot of I don't know if the stories tie together. I don't know if it's just necessarily a world tying together. Um, but yes, yeah, so I'm 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 keen and, and and I don't mind uh you know a couple of mild spoilers, Evan. <laughs> well. I have a friend who loves Chrono Cross uh, and thinks in many ways it is a better game than Chrono Trigger. 
and I can't really say either way because I've never played Chrono Cross, but uh, I am fascinated by the narrative of this game. You know, how do you how do you make a sequel? How do you follow up something that is so beloved and is almost considered like an instant classic? Uh, you kind of need to distance yourself from it in some ways. And I think that Chrono Cross does that in a lot of ways, while also, I mean, very, very barely implementing parts of Chrono Trigger. I mean, you have no no random encounters, right? Which is something that this game has in common with Chrono Trigger. But uh, yeah, I mean, aside from that, combat mechanics, not really all that similar. Um, The narratives are very, very different. And really, there are some very tangential connections to to Chrono Trigger. I think you you kind of get to see how things played out for those characters. Um, But... It's nothing so closely related. And I think what Chrono Cross is attempting to do is explore the idea of alternate dimensions in a way that is as thorough as how Chrono Trigger explored the idea of going through time, which to me also, you know, if, if that's what your goal is for this game series, for this Chrono game series, it makes sense to me that after they did Cross, they kind of didn't do anything else. <laughs> because I can't really imagine, like, what other trippy, temporal uh, sorts of ideas that you could possibly play around with. But I think I've heard a lot of people talk about this game, and I know that a lot of people don't like it because it's not chrono trigger yeah and that's sort of really that that's how i landed on it you know nothing i really read about the game was negative it was purely i think it answered the question you know a bad sequel to an rpg um which is yeah fascinating i i'm really enjoying myself and i think it's it's probably that overarching you know people have been negative about it not to a oh it's a bad game but no one ever speaks fondly of it, which is probably just, it's never been on my radar to go and have a look at. I, I, I've i known it's been there, but uh, if ever I've wanted to, I've sort of, you know, I tend to go back to the Super Nintendo RPGs more than PS1 RPGs. I, For me, I, I, I don't really hold any nostalgia for the PS1 style graphics. Right. Yeah. And so I, I am struggling a bit there. Yeah, I, I get that. <laughs> totally. Um, I, I think that the best ps1 uh rpgs are those that really lean into aesthetic i mean again like something like vagrant story looks great now just because the character designs were so evocative back then you know again it's it's like saying oh is xenoblade chronicles x a bad sequel to xenoblade chronicles (laughs) it's not really a sequel um and in in that way you might consider it bad is Xenoblade Chronicles 2 a bad sequel to Xenoblade Chronicles? Uh, you you could argue that as well. And so, you know, I, I think this quest is fun because you can have many reasons for considering something to be a bad sequel, right? 
Um, but you yep. can also, you know, if you don't really have any allegiance to series, right? If you don't have any experience with uh, a whole lot of sequels, seeking out and playing something that that is widely considered to be bad, uh, or it or that some some consensus has been met in in saying, oh, this is not good or not good as a sequel, uh, can surprise you in a lot of ways. And, yeah. and like I I often will just pick up an RPG play the first you know four to six hours just to get a an understanding of the world the the layout and definitely near the top of the list of of rpgs i've just dabbled in for the sake of having a look at them um so yeah no it's there's there's something there yeah and that's i think that's really cool and i think that's a great way to approach this too because it 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 does give a positive uh, spin to (laughs) to a potentially very negative exactly right and i think that's the a lot of the other you know mass effect andromeda and dragon age 2 ones i'd probably want to talk passionately about was a fairly negative conversation like they are not good sequels they're also relatively not great games whereas in this case i think it's yeah it was nice and yeah, I, I I found one list that had Chrono Cross in it, and it was number one in their list. So obviously, someone <laughs> had that nostalgia when they were writing that list. No other list, and I went. I found. I'd say every bad RPG list I could find on the internet. Um, pretty much nothing else ever mentioned Chrono Cross. Um, and of course, then in the last week, as I'm googling Chrono Cross, all these rumors have started to pop up. Um, that a, a remake, a remaster will be coming out. So uh, frustrating for me because I'm enjoying myself and I'm like, oh, I might just wait <laughs> now. You know, it's, you know, I think a, a part yeah. of it too might also be that Chrono Cross is not ambitious in the ways that Chrono Trigger was, right? In that yeah. Chrono Trigger was taking the biggest names of the sort of JRPG realm and bring them together uh, in a way that I don't think Chrono Cross can accomplish, right? Because it's not trying to go for a, an art style like Akira Toriyama's uh, or a compositional no, style. No, not at all. It, it, it's just, hey, let's, you know, we, we know what we're doing. Let's make a game. Right. And they very clearly know how to make a game. <laughs> um, it's it's a compelling game, and they're exploring really fascinating ideas. But I think that some people who maybe think of Chrono Trigger as being this sort of like all-star cast of people coming together and making something special, I can see that this game might disappoint them in that respect. But I'm not really sure how else you could be disappointed. Yeah, and I think that's anything I found about the disappointment did tend to just stem from that. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So, but no, yeah, that that was it. That was a, a challenging quest to, I think, find an answer for. So I'm no, I feel better for myself having. I, I like your approach very much. Uh, so with all of those out of the way, we're gonna get through our live rolls uh, really quickly, and then we'll get into our plugs and we'll head on out of here. So, I will be starting. I was previously at number 11 um, on our uh, quest board. I'm going to give this a shot. Uh, Well, I guess I should ask first. Gentlemen, do you have your uh, dice all all set? Locked and loaded. 
I certainly do. All right. Well, then I'm going to roll first. And I got, ooh, mama, a six. Uh, oh. So going from a RPG with a uh, weird character uh, customization system to now a RPG with a or without a traditional leveling system. Uh, Zelda. Great. So I'm talking more about quirky sorts of games, but I'm really excited to continue this conversation. I'd really like to have something, hopefully, that we can talk a little bit more about uh, together, because I've already got maybe an answer in mind for this. But uh, who's up next? I think we've got Nick. Sure. I will uh, adjust my microphone so we can pick up the wonderful dice rolling sound effects. I have rolled a three. Oh, Jeremy. (laughs) (laughs) You just wrote Zelda next to my quest, if anyone is wondering. Excellent. And I have landed on an RPG character you resonated with. Oh, that's a nice It is. Look at you with your pleasant quests. (laughs) All right. This reminds me of peasant quest. I'll have to go with the only Australian I can I'm aware of in any JRPG. It, it'll be the main character of Golf Story, or that entire culture of aliens from Xenoblade Two. There was a culture of Australians. I'm pretty sure it was Xenoblade Two, or maybe in X, one of the towns all had Australian accents. Oh, I'm pretty sure that's two. Yeah. But of course, all right, Jeremy. We, we might all get. We got later. a little bit of headway on you uh, last week, but now's your chance to uh, rocket forward before we get into our job. All right, here we go. Yeah, I was gonna say this is what happens when you have a life, I Jeremy. Jeez. I hope you've learnt your lesson. Oh, okay, hang on. <laughs> there we go. Uh, three. I'll put me at. Oh, a, a bad sequel to an RPG. <laughs> Do I do I sense a? Uh, I don't know. We got a job a job ability uh, starting up pretty soon. Well, I'm gonna say personally, uh, uh, I don't want to steal either of yours uh, with my thiefy skills. Uh, I actually would probably find uh, yours, Nick, to be very difficult. And of course, we all know I can say plenty of bad things about. Uh, RPGs. I don't think it's necessary for me to uh, to <laughs> head back to that uh, quest. Any other job yeah, skills? Jeremy, you going to uh, cause Well, any I havoc? just remembered that I completed an enemy encounter, so I went up a level. So uh, now did. I can move everybody by two in either direction. So now I, I'm looking at the list to see where everybody would end up. Don't make me talk about Final Fantasy. <laughs> oh, I really like the one I would end up on, though. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. What's the point of having a power if you can't use it? I'm going to use uh, my summoner ability to increase everybody's roll by two. See, then I should be able to steal after you do that. <laughs> uh, you've got the speed stat. It's, you know, can't, can't, can't change your stats. Unless we want to introduce stat mechanics into this, Evan. Oh, you know, give something else. It's complicated enough already. <laughs> oh, Nick, that lands you on an enemy encounter. No, I've already moved myself. Oh, you yeah. already moved yourself. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. sorry. Yeah. yeah, He's behind me, thank you. <laughs> All right, I guess we should we should list off our quests now. Hang on, hang on. Yep. Hold your horses. Uh-oh. I, I still feel like I have to use my ability at some point just to... <laughs> 
So what have we got? An RPG with better side quests than the main narrative. Don't, don't, Jeremy. don't synthesize, because I, I don't uh, think I can talk about... Uh, I don't think I can talk about it, a an RPG that I've never gotten into that also has better side quests. Because I've never gotten cool. into it. But does Jeremy want to talk about an RPG with a better story-driven mechanic than the main narrative? I, d- I don't that makes so much sense. This, this an RPG series that you could never get me. into... No, there's nothing fun here. I'm good. I'm good. I'll leave it. Alrighty. Yeah, I already know what I'm going to talk about, and if you combined ours, I'd still be talking about the same game. So, well, I wanted what about to talk. If it was a game you've never gotten into, though. I wanted to talk about Saga. All right, well, that would be harder. I wanted to talk about, about Saga next week, <laughs> and you have ruined that because Saga is a series that I have gotten into. Thank you very much. So my quest is a series, an, uh, an RPG series that you could just never get into. Of course, we're just going to keep Zelda up there. Why not? Just mocking me. <laughs> and I have an RPG with a story-driven mechanic. Which I, I have some great ideas for that one. And mine is, of course, the RPG with better side quests than a main narrative. I don't think Zelda applies in that scenario. I don't know. Collecting all the Depends on which Zelda game you're talking about. Yeah. But no, I have something else in mind. Okay. Uh, well, with that said, I guess we can move into our plugs and head off on our quests. So I guess I'll take over uh, for for plugs. I don't remember what we did last week. And Jeremy, you introed us, so I think it's only fair, right? If Go for it. you want to talk to us in any way, you can either shoot us a tweet at RPG Podcast on Twitter uh, or you can send us an email at rpgpodquest at gmail.com. Please let us know if you have any ideas for quests or whether or not you agree with some of our picks for uh, some of these quests. Or if you just want to follow up and let us know maybe a conversation or, or a quest that we brought up that you'd like to uh, submit an answer for. Maybe we've uh, played it or talked about it at some point before and we can uh, chime in. Uh, we are on Spotify, Apple, Google, a whole lot of other stuff, too. You know what? I actually have uh, all of our uh, platforms, I believe, in front of me. Uh, unless I maybe don't have them in front of me. Uh, okay, maybe I don't have them in front of me. Wait, hold on. I do. I'm just stalling for time. Uh... This is some great, uh, this is r- great riveting stuff. Right here. Thank you, everyone that's remained. Our, our <laughs> hey, this one is, listener in, in you're Antarctica. forgetting. You're forgetting that I have the power of editing on my side, which means <laughs> all of these awkward silences will be at least one second uh, filled with elevator music. Yes. So we are on Spotify. We uh, have a RSS feed as well. Uh, we are on Apple Podcasts, Google Overcast. I don't even know what that is. Breaker, Castbox, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, and Stitcher. Bam! How do you like them apples? Uh, and our first Stitcher listener to tweet at us wins a dollar. <laughs> yeah, that, that'll come out of uh, your pocket, there, buddy. <laughs> uh, um, and our Twitter accounts. Uh, you can find me at RPG Seb. That's right, S E B. Uh, because for some reason I wanted to talk about multiple RPGs and not just one. Uh, Jeremy, where can they find you? Uh, they can find me at RPG underscore writer. And Nick? 
they can find me at RPG Nick with two eyes, and the first follower I have that isn't you two will get a prize. Is it a dollar? No. It's Okay. It's probably 50 cents. But, you know, may- maybe I'll pick a game they want. He's putting money on the line, people! <laughs> I also haven't posted anything on my Twitter, so I completely understand why I have no followers and probably never will. But I that's know. okay. It's there. It's mysteriously quiet. But before we head out, uh, were there any uh, sort of plugs that either of you wanted to make uh, about anything that you're... Uh, doing outside of the podcast i just wanted to mention that the end of the year is coming up so switch rpg will be hosting a very different sort of awards season uh for the end of the year we're just kind of uh going to be throwing up some of our favorite games which you'll probably hear about on this podcast as well but if you want to hear from people other than me and jeremy uh, about what their favorite games were uh, this year you should definitely go and uh, check that out gentlemen anything that you wanted to plug uh, well, for me, you can find me across a variety of other forms of social media at the same uh, username, RPG underscore writer. Uh, I'm on TikTok. I'm on Instagram. I'm also going to be starting to post some of my creative writing over on Wattpad, all under the same name. So if you have any interest in those, feel free to check it out. Yeah, that's very exciting. And Nick, anything exciting from you? or are you just? I have no or... creative endeavors, so no. <laughs> Ah, that's all right. Uh, Well, thank you very much, uh, everybody, for listening. And I don't know how long this episode has been, but it'll be even shorter once I edit all those awkward pauses out. Hey, they won't know about. So now it's (laughs) awkward. (laughs) Now it's even more awkward. Maybe I'll edit this part out too. Ah, it's such a uh, such a wild and crazy ride being in the editor suite. Um, In any case, we will head off on our next quests and see you next time. Bye-bye. Oof.